What's up, guys? Welcome to another edition of GCC Radio. My name is Ethan Kaplan. And I'm Joe Henry. And we're super excited to dive in this week and cover your latest news and updates in and around the blockchain ecosystem. As always, this is not financial advice. We were by no means experts. However, our mission is to take our experience in the space and use what we've learned to educate you guys on all things Web3, crypto, and blockchain. Hey, guys. Welcome to GCC Radio. Weekly recap, March 20th. we got a lot in store for you today. Really excited. Let's get to it. Yeah, so first up, we got the Ethereum Proof-of-Stake testnet. So it's these are the final steps before the Proof-of-Stake transition. Right now is Ethereum's Proof-of-Work, which shows going to get into later. But uh, this is a transition to Proof-of-Stake, which is less energy intensive. And so what the testnet is, is it's a new version of Ethereum without, but it doesn't have risk. It's all fake tokens, and it, it can be ended whenever it's, it has a problem or issue. And so that's what we've seen recently. Uh, with the merge of the execution layer with the beacon chain, which is the proof of stake blockchain instead of the proof of works blockchain. So one issue came up during the proof of stake testnet and otherwise the Ethereum uh, blockchain was working perfectly in proof of stake. And that issue was that a single client wasn't producing blocks on the testnet and is currently being investigated. But right now we're seeing a lot of emphasis on this transition and there's over 10 million ETH locked on the Ethereum 2.0 deposit contract which really shows that there's trust and um, belief in the future of this ecosystem. All right, so basically I just wanted to run through the difference between proof of work and proof of stake because we know there's a lot of people who are in our Discord who are pretty entry level in terms of their experience. And we think it's just important to really break this stuff down and try to make it as least technical as possible. So let's talk about proof of work, right? Bitcoin is a proof of work consensus protocol. So when I send someone a Bitcoin from my wallet to theirs, the underlying software creates a transaction that, that gets broadcasted to the network. So the miners see these transactions and have to do some form of computation to actually validate the transactions that happen on the proof of work network. Once, they, once that validity is confirmed, basically they get rewarded in dividends of Bitcoin. So who are the miners? The miners are the people that are operating the Bitcoin software to continuously validate these transactions. The reason there's an incentive to be to be a miner is because the software re rewards the miners in dividends of Bitcoin for validating these transactions. The transaction fees that you have to pay as a, um, as a user, like as an average user, also go directly to the miners. So that's a separate, smaller incentive for them. So what are the drawbacks of a proof of work model? There's a bunch, but I'm just going to highlight two just to be as least nuanced as possible. Number one, transactions process very slowly. The number of transactions that the system can process is simply not enough to sustain the entire world's monetary needs. Number two, mining is incredibly energy inefficient and therefore not only possesses environmental issues, but also makes being a miner incredibly expensive. You have to constantly reinvest in better hardware and more electricity in order to keep up with the largest pools on the network. The average individual most certainly cannot be a miner and therefore cannot participate in securing the network and therefore cannot participate in seeing to the network success. So now let's talk about Ethereum, right? Since Ethereum's launch, it's been running on a proof of work model. However, the innovation of, the, of Ethereum to the history of blockchains is the fact that it allows for the ability to write open source software, which gives people the ability to transact with each other without having to trust each other, i.e. a smart contract. Ethereum transactions are also a lot faster than Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network under the proof of stake model. However, they're still relatively very slow. 
So the biggest and most important improvement Ethereum has had to the history of blockchains is the fact that people behind the Ethereum network, which is the community, have a long-term plan to continue to improve the Ethereum network and help it scale. So finally, this brings us to the merge, which is what we're talking about in this slide. In the next couple of months, Ethereum will be fully merging to proof-of-stake consensus protocol. What does this mean? This means in order for an individual to become a validator, you need to have a certain number of ETH tokens and they have to be staked or locked up in the network. The more ETH you own, the more power you will have as a validator. The miners who earn dividends of the native token will be chosen randomly. However, those who have a larger stake or have been staking for a longer period of time inherently have an advantage. So this is what I want to talk about, right? What are the key advantages of Ethereum moving to a proof of stake model? Number one, proof of stake increases network scalability by reducing transaction times. Currently, Ethereum can do max 45 transactions per second. And with the merge and the rest of the roadmap, potentially can do up to a couple hundred thousand of TPS. And finally, number two, proof of stake incentivizes more people to contribute to the security and success of the network because it is energy efficient and much more cost effective. Anybody can stake their tokens or a portion of their tokens and validate transactions for reward on the network. So in terms of the merge coming up soon, this is something that people, this is something that Ethereum maximalists have been waiting for for an incredibly long period of time. And it's just unbelievable to see a layer one blockchain be able to actually revamp their initial consensus protocol and improve their scalability for the future. Yeah, and I mean, just to go back on that, you know, the proof of stake isn't perfect as well. People have issues with proof of stake as well. But this just represents a step in the direction of Ethereum scalability that's really important. It's not the it's not the only step, but it's the first step. And you know, it's it's becoming a there's gonna be a future of significant improvements that go beyond proof of stake. And so, you know, we're gonna see a lot of evolution from the next few years in Ethereum. Hundred percent. That's the best part about Ethereum. It's an applicable blockchain with open source code. And the developers and the community have governance over the future. Definitely. Yeah, so also we saw the integration of uh, the Stripe ecosystem with crypto. And so, you know, this is important because in 2018, Stripe basically dropped Bitcoin from its system, but now it's gotten back into the crypto game because it's seen the sustainability of the ecosystem and its benefits towards transactions. So what Stripe's done is it's given uh, businesses access to crypto and in addition to today's global financial infrastructure. And so it's allowing for payment processing software and application programmings and interfaces for e-commerce. And so that means that institutions can adopt crypto without necessarily risking volatility, and but they can still receive transactions in crypto from other people and receive fiat in return. And so we're seeing not only that, but also an institution acting as a validator of identity. So this is allowing institutions to both accept crypto payments and maybe comply with sanctions or, you know, follow KYC rules. And so they're going through this centralized system, which has authorization and optimization built into the system before they're using the benefits of crypto in their ecosystem. 100%. This is a no-brainer for fintech companies wanting to actually allow crypto to be used in normal payment processing systems and actually be able to advance the ball on mass adoption for crypto. For sure. So this is Magic Eden, right? This is honestly just about this Solana really trying to take market share away from Ethereum. And I think one of the most effective ways to do that is to try to even out the playing fields in the NFT market. 
ETH is obviously the big titan in the NFT market, and Solana has to find a way to claw at their market dominance. In my opinion, this is going to be incredibly tough, especially after the merge, and also considering the fact that SoulSea has now been running for a really long period of time and never gained the amount of network success that OpenSea has been able to gain. You know, Ethereum has the first mover advantage in the NFT ecosystem, and honestly, in my opinion, just has better products, better digital assets. So this is going to be a really hard push, but, you know, as a, a layer one blockchain with a really prosperous, with a really ambitious roadmap, this makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah. Also, I mean, I think it just brings about this whole understanding of, you know, are there going to be category winners based on each blockchain or are there going to be widespread platforms that are interoperable that really have dominant presences in the decentralized ecosystem? And so right now we're seeing the NFT market sort of uh, tackle that issue in real time. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what sort of traction Magic Eden gets as opposed to OpenSea and other uh, NFT developments. Yeah, I think the fact that OpenSea is expanding to to Sol, the, the uh, native token of the Solana network, is going to draw more demand for the actual native token itself. But I don't think it's going to necessarily have a huge impo- impact on the native digital assets that have already been created on the Solana network. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so also this week we saw uh, Polkadot's second batch of parachains. And so uh, the second batch of parachains has uh, been deployed on the network, which consisted of six auctions, including Composable Finance, Efinity, Nodal, Centrifuge, Interlay, and HydroDX. And going to each of those projects would take, you know, beyond this podcast. But uh, the auction categories that those six projects tackled included things like the Internet of Things, NFT scalability and DeFi connectivity. And so I think the most important thing to take away from this is that Polkadot is one of the most commonly held assets by crypto hedge funds. It's actually, I think, the most commonly held asset. And my hypothesis for why hedge funds find this so interesting is this whole incentivization program where people don't just publish a decentralized application to the blockchain uh, you know, that just takes something random from real life or from web two and puts it onto the decentralization because they can, you know, it's, it's people using the blockchain and creating value and things that will improve operability through the blockchain activities and the community seeing that value and voting on those projects in order to create this whole ecosystem that only brings value. And so there's no wasted energy on transactions that don't matter. And there's only these projects that are really sustainable and will build the future of the ecosystem. Yeah, 100%. Polkadot is so, so young. I mean, Gavin Wood spent a ton of time working on Ethereum and then finally left and first launched Parachains in December of 2021. So, you know, less than six months ago. And uh, so it's just incredibly young. I think if you're you're invested in Polkadot, I think you got a while to go before seeing some you know, some major price action, but I think the future is really bright for this layer one. Yeah, I mean, it's a long-term play, but it's a long-term sustainable growth play. You know, you're, you're going to see continuous innovation and worthwhile projects being voted on by the community. Yeah. All right, ApeCoin, right? So Board Ape Yacht Club is becoming much more than just an NFT collection. Their goal is to create a global brand that is known for best-in-class digital assets, whether that be NFTs, their metaverse platform, video game integration, or much more. ApeCoin is the tokenization of their brand and a way to be a part of their future. 
The AYC will be implementing ApeCoin to power everything they do from now on, which will require a demand for ApeCoin if users want to, part, want to actually participate. I personally bought in after the massive, massive airdrop dump and sold the hype near the all-time high. So I, I'm not saying I'm a great trader or anything, but it was a really good move on my part. Um, I personally, um, uh, I mean, yeah. And also I would just say whether like I w whether I'm going to get back into ApeCoin is still yet to be seen, but I'm a major fan of the brand and I'm confident they're bringing a lot of utility for ApeCoin. It's a pretty simple concept and they won't be the first Web3 brand to do it. One example is that I could see uh, Artifact doing this as well uh, in their near future. And it's honestly, it just makes a lot of sense. Like if you're a brand that's looking to create digital assets, you should have a native token that it like gets drawn on demand to actually be able to utilize those those platforms so yeah and no, I, I think that the trend with apecoin is is also representative of this broader trend that people are seeing in crypto projects so there's basically a cycle where a token is issued and then there's a lot of price speculation which increases the token's value and people want to buy more of that token and then from that speculation and the price increase more developers are incentivized to actually create something on the ecosystem. And then once developers start creating on the ecosystem, more value is derived and the price goes up. And that cycle continues on and on until one day there's a crash or there's a correction in the market. And then the cycle starts over again. And we've seen this multiple times. We saw this, I think there's, there's like four periods of speculation, in the broader uh, crypto ecosystem. And now with ApeCoin, we're seeing the, price of ApeCoin increase, and then that's going to incentivize things like uh, NFT projects, games, and we're seeing right now the integration with a mobile game called Benji Bananas. And so, you know, as more people and as more applications are using ApeCoin, more applications and more activity is going to go on in the ecosystem and more value is going to be created. Exactly. They literally airdrop 15% of the total circulating supply to all Board Ape Yacht Club owners. So, you know, the, the coin right after the ICO, basically got a ton of hype, went up to $20. And all the people who own Board Ape Yacht Club um, NFTs, who now had all this ApeCoin sitting in their wallets, just immediately dumped. It was a free 100000 to 200000 you know, dollars in their wallet that they just immediately liquidated. And so what I saw as an opportunity is once it crashed, um, I got in really low and basically waited for the, you know, more retail hype to drive back up again before I actually sold. And the reason I sold is because there's no utility yet for the Ape, for, for ApeCoin, right? I was just basically speculating that the average retail investor would understand that there is going to be utility to come and that it was going to, you know, slowly work its way back up to, towards potentially the all-time high it hit um, right off the jump. And so, like, it's just important to know that ApeCoin is very, you know, it's still relatively cheap right now. I think it's at $10 or maybe even sub that as of this video. And although there's no utility yet for the coin, there will be in the future. So this is your opportunity to, you know, kind of get in early. Yeah, I, th I think you bring up a good point of, you know, thinking about it psychologically, right? So people yeah. are interested in the future and they're interested in the speculation. So what Joe did was he played on the common retail investors idea of what the coin is going to be. And he had early access to that information. You know, he really saw that trend early. So, you know, he understood that people are going to be seeing that value. And so by being an early adopter and understanding 
what values is going to be seen in the market, he was able to make a good trade. Yeah, it's important to like understand that markets are just it's a psychology of people like you know just how how are people buying and selling what are what are people's understanding of what's going on what's hype what's not and you know stuff like that yeah i mean i think warren buffett said something like uh you know short term the market's like a voting machine and long term it's like i think a weighing machine i might have butchered that but <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's that short term psychology of the market really dominates price but then long term as more value is being created there's more sustainability in that price and so that's what we're seeing here is, you know, the market really dominating that price right now. Yeah. And like if you watch technical analysis videos, like they always say, like, you know, it's just people on paper. You know, although you see a chart and you see lines going up and down, really what that is, is just a measure of people. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. So also the Aptos ecosystem is really picking up now. And so this is reminiscent of Libra, which was Facebook's attempt to have a cryptocurrency in its own blockchain in order to have monetary authority. And so this new project is actually led by Meta's ex-employees, and it has the goal of scalability and um, authority and trust in relation to institutional adoption. And so with the goal of scalability and the aim for companies to use it without an, encum an encumbering fee structure and without trust in the ecosystem, they actually were born with institutional trust. And so they're really having the goal of integrating those institutions and web two platforms in web three. And so what's interesting is to understand if, com if companies are just going to use this as a marketing campaign and take their services web three and, you know, really have no advantage of putting anything on the blockchain, or if they're actually going to create value and, you know, create a competitive edge from the utilization of blockchain technology. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, also this week, so Chainalysis released uh, sanction tools. And so what these tools do is identify crypto wallets that could be from a sanctioned country. And so this represents a huge turn in decentralized applications and services like uh, DeFi, which currently struggle with sanctions because there's a whole anonymity issue in terms of especially location where DeFi protocols and other protocols can't actually understand where people are situated. And so with this increased transparency in a free to use tool, you know, people are people who run DeFi can actually monitor where transactions are coming from and comply with regulatory authority. And so right now, you know, we've seen in the past that uh, crypto services like OpenSea and Coinbase that are inherently centralized were able to in enforce sanctions because there was KYC and uh, which is know your customer, you know, you have to actually understand how someone is using your services and where they're from in order to access a centralized database. But now we're seeing this transition where decentralized autonomous organizations can actually vote on complying with regulatory authority because they now have access to where people are located in a decentralized fashion. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it makes a lot of sense to want people's governance to be anonymous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, piggybacking on that development is the development of the MENA ecosystem. So this is a layer one solution. And what that means is it's on the same level as uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, where there's nothing built on uh, below it. And so it's a privacy focused layer one protocol that uses zero knowledge proof technology, which basically means you can validate transactions without actually knowing what happened in the transaction. And so funds were raised to attract more software developers because the ecosystem isn't established yet. But from a fundamental basis, we see this as 
a mitigant to private information being shared on dApps. And so the things like the chain analysis, uh, analysis tools for sanctions can be, uh, can be avoided by actually having this zero knowledge proof and using the MENA ecosystem instead of say Ethereum. And so this is neither good nor bad. It can always be used in the wrong way, but it, it could also be used beneficially to hide sensitive information. So though people could maybe avoid sanctions, uh, people could also have voting transparency where right now voting is actually viewable on chains so people can see what you voted for. But with zero knowledge proof and voting on a DAO, you can have anonymous voting where members of the DAO are actually contributing without necessarily a fear of uh, not having consensus with the majority. Yeah, 100%. I think it's pretty cool to see these backers, right? Like, look at all these VC capital firms. And I mean, I, I spend a lot of time just honestly looking at like what Grayscale's invested in, what Pantera's invested in. It doesn't necessarily, you know, make or break my decision at the end of the day, but I like to see where people who, you know, have been in financial markets for a really long period of time or allocating their capital. So it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I think that something really important about this is, you know, I just talked about two different layer one developments, which, you know, we're seeing scaling solutions, layer two developments on top of Ethereum all the time. Like Ethereum's already been this established player, but the development of inherently different and uh, layer ones with different use cases still show that the ecosystem is so young and there's so many innovations that can still happen and we just don't know where that can take us yeah definitely i think we're really at this like second evolution of blockchain which is like a lot of these layer ones are incredibly open source and have the ability to adapt for the future depending on you know what their community wants and what ultimately the developers think is the best play yeah and i mean especially with this we're seeing funds being raised to actually attract developers to create projects. And so ideally that would be software developers that are using this zero knowledge proof technology in a way that benefits the, the applications being created on top of it. So it's not just some generic application, it's an application that requires that protocol, that uh, privacy and that enhanced uh, transaction that doesn't allow some regulatory body to actually view what you're doing and it's also to like it's very important to understand that like we could be seeing a lot of consolidation too like as all of these layer ones you know start up there is going to be room for consolidation and for people to actually partner up or m a opportunities you know for the better not necessarily creating like a big centralized entity but more just adding value to things that make sense you know blockchains being compatible with other blockchains and creating bigger blockchains yeah definitely and i mean there's already interoperability, like the Ethereum yeah. virtual machine is inherently something that can be copied and pasted between different blockchains that utilize Ethereum virtual machine compatible technology. And so, you know, we see applications being able to transfer from protocol to protocol. And so we don't understand exactly where the value is going to lie in the future, but we know that it's transferable between ch uh, chains. Yeah. And then we've mentioned before, like that can kind of skew developer activity mm -hmm. um, just in terms of like looking at it as a metric, but it's also still good to look at, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. That was it. That was a quick one. Yeah, it was a quick one. Thanks, guys. Hope you liked the video. Um, make sure to leave any comments in the Discord if you want to talk about anything else or you know want us to go deep, go, want us to dive further into anything. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. See you guys.